as we prepare to hear our scripture reading this morning, uh, we continue to hear about the early church in Corinth. Uh, last week we heard about the founding of the church by the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila who founded uh, the church, which is in modern day Greece, um, in around 50 CE. And Corinth was a major um, trade route and cultural center. And as a result, there was a huge amount of diversity in the city ethnic, religious, cultural, economic. And even within the small uh, Corinthian church, uh, there was a whole host of people, Jew and Greek, slave and free, rich and poor. And as we heard last week, uh, this diversity also brought with it a lot of division. And so last week we heard them arguing uh, amongst themselves as a church about which one of their leaders was the greatest preacher. Between that chapter and the one we hear today, um, they're arguing over lots of other things, everything from dietary laws to economic status uh, to spiritual gifts. And in the part that we're going to hear today actually comes in a whole section on spiritual gifts, where uh, apparently in the Church of Corinth, the gift of speaking in tongues, uh, some people thought was the best. And so those that had that gift uh, lorded it over those who didn't. And in the section right before this, in chapter 12, um, Paul basically teaches that all gifts are valuable. And he uses the metaphor of a human body to say, just as all gifts are uh, important, you can think about it in the same way a human body has ears and eyes and hands and feet, and all those different parts are needed. And one part of the body can't say to the other, I have no need of you, or I'm better than you. And so Paul then uh, moves from that metaphor into this section on love, where he grounds uh, the source of spiritual gifts in love, where he says the way we relate to each other is through love, and what binds us together across difference is love. So as we hear this passage today, uh, chances are that it will be familiar to you. It is one that is often used in uh, weddings in particular. But when we remember it in its original context, uh, Paul wrote it at a time and to a church that was experiencing deep conflict uh, as a guide for how they were called to treat each other. So let us listen for the word of God. Our reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, when but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. 
When I became an adult, I put an end to the childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I only know in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, on this day when we hear your call to love, help us to hear these words anew for us. Help us to be people who live in your love and live out your love to our world. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if we were meeting in person this morning, I'd be doing a straw poll of how many of you have heard this scripture before? How many of you have heard it in a wedding? Maybe even in your own wedding. This is one of the most famous passages of scripture. Uh, this passage about love, this poetic ode to uh, what love is and what it can be. But this is also a great reminder of how context matters. Because uh, far from being a beautiful, poetic, cross-stitchable poem uh, for newlywed love, this is uh, a letter, a scripture, that was given to a church in deep division. A church that was ready to, to cut each other off at its knees for all kinds of things. For arguments over who's the greatest leader, who follows which dietary laws, for uh, economic status, who's rich, who's poor. I mean, this was a group that, that really just had all these factions. And so far from being um, uh, something that celebrated a love that already existed in this community, this was essentially an intervention. This was a call to action. This was Paul saying, you all need to change your ways. That love is going to be what helps you overcome that division that you are experiencing in your church. In this way, it is very much a call to action. The author and ethicist, Bell Hooks, who has written a lot about love, uh, defines love as the will to nurture our own and another's spiritual growth. And if you think about it, it's, it's action. It's looking beyond ourselves to someone else. And um, in our contemporary society, we often think of love as a feeling, right? That it's this emotion. It's a way that we respond to something outside of us and it feels really good. But when we listen to Paul and when we listen to scripture and we listen to Jesus, love is not a feeling as much as it is an action. It's a doing, right? That it's how we treat each other. Um, when Jesus says, you know, love God and love, love uh, your neighbor as yourself, he's not talking about just positive regard, feeling good towards people. He's talking about action. We roll up our sleeves and we get to work. And this kind of action is, is I think, what Paul is getting at in this passage, that it's going to be um, love that they have to do in order to overcome the divisions that they're experiencing. 
Now, the translation we have doesn't really do it justice because um, love is kind, love is patient. That's more passive. A better way to translate it would be love shows patience, right? Love acts with kindness. It's very doing oriented. In other words, it's, it's a verb, right? It's an active verb. And it's an action that we have to choose day after day after day. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this list of, of love, um, love is patient and kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings. And I'm like, I'm out, right? I can't do this. I mean, I can come up with six examples just from this morning about ways that I've been impatient or unkind to my kids or my spouse. I can think of opening up Facebook and getting envious from what I'm seeing on other people's posts. I can think about rejoicing in wrongdoing when, um, you know, I turn on the news and I see some conspiracy theorist who has come down with COVID-19 and there's a little part of me that's like, ha ha ha, you know, it's not pretty. It's not, it's not nice. It's not kind. But that's because love is hard work. And in many ways, love actually invites us to, to override our feelings and to, um, to choose what is better, to choose, to choose to appeal to our better selves. Uh, one commentator, Shively Smith, writes this. She says, make no mistake, the love that Paul is talking about here is not passive or fluffy. This kind of love is an up at dawn, feet on the ground, tools in hand, working kind of love. It builds communities. It nurtures positive social interactions and not just social networks. Paul's declaration of love unifies. And Paul says love is going to have to be the key. That love is going to be how you find your way forward in the midst of diversity, in the midst of different life experiences, of different needs, of different hopes. Um, that treating each other with love is how you will find your way forward and it's how you will live out the gospel of God. Well, it reminds me of some of the best advice I ever got. Um, this was from a former uh, boss of mine, my supervisor, the senior pastor at a church I served. And one time he said, you know, if anybody ever really gets under your skin, or if you're finding somebody who really rubs you the wrong way, take them out to lunch. And I remember just thinking like, why on earth would I do that? Why would I want to subject myself to that, right? And he said, you know, take them out to lunch and and get to know them, find out their story. Because you may find that you have common ground or you may find out something in their story, in their history that gives you empathy and helps you love them a little more. It's that aspect of, of turning toward someone else, even in the midst of difference and division. And I think about this even playing out in my own life. I think about it um, in a lot of the, the things I both read and experienced uh, about parenting and about marriage. There's an organization, the Gottman Institute, uh, founded by a couple of the Gottmans. And 
Uh, they've studied a lot about uh, marriage and, and parenting, and particularly uh, marriage in the context of long-term marriages and what makes marriages last. And what they have found is that um, the number one sort of predictor in terms of uh, accounting for a, a long-term marriage is if the partners um, turn toward each other, if there's a bid for attention and the other partner responds. And if you think about this, um, I think it's true not just for a marriage uh, or for parenting, but really for any relationship or friendship, um, where if there's this bid for attention, which is basically um, just somebody coming in and saying, oh, I've had a bad day. Or if uh, a family member comes in to the kitchen and is just like, oh, that you have a choice, right? We have a choice. We can either um, respond. We can say, oh, I'm sorry. Tell me, tell me about your day. Why was it bad? Or uh, the person sighs and we can say, oh, I just heard you sigh. What's, what's going on? Um, we can do that or we can ignore the person, right? We can go back to our book or eating our cereal or watching our television show and just pretend that we haven't seen or heard um, what, they've, uh, what they've said or done. And so this idea that we need to turn toward each other, is it's a conscious choice, right? It's something that we do even if, even if we don't want to do it, even if we're feeling irritable, uh, that we are patient, that we are kind, that we reach out across that division or that divide. And um, that's true whether it's, whether it's a family member or whether it's a neighbor or whether it's someone in the church or whether it's a group that we fear, um, we, we act out love when we, when we turn toward each other and when we um, try to find uh, those places of common ground. One of the things that Paul is clear about is that um, this kind of love, it, it isn't always going to be easy. And I think this is important for us to remember, um, even as a church, that this is really hard work. And uh, another commentator that I, uh, I, or a commentary I read this week uh, by Brian Peterson, he, he um, wrote this great uh, quote, which I want to share with you. He says that Paul never says that such love feels good. And this is where the typical use of the chapter goes off the rails, meaning when we just apply it to this loving marriage. He writes, because of our disordered assumptions about what love actually is, we often act as though the mission of the church is to gather like-minded and likable people together. We think that in such a community, it will be easy for us to love, or more honestly, to feel the love. But true love is not measured by how good it makes us feel. In the context of 1 Corinthians, it would be better to say that the measure of love is its capacity for tension and disagreement without division. In other words, Paul is saying diversity is a good thing and we just have to find our way to live into it. That it's this love and this action and this choice um, to see beyond our differences, to seek each other out even in the midst of difference, to be kind and patient and loving and stop keeping record of wrongs and, and to just um, seek the needs and the good of others. That that is what will bind us together and that is what will move us forward. 
And he also just says that basically this, this is going to take a dose of humility, that it's not something we just um, arrive at naturally, that we, we have to remember that we are on a journey. And basically he says, you know, all these gifts that the Corinthians have, all these good things, which are really good things, they're, they're good gifts, prophecies and tongues and knowledge, but that all of these things are, are fleeting. They're all going to come to an end and that only love remains. And that basically he says, you know, at this point, we only see very dimly, right? We see a dim reflection of what's to come. We only have partial truth. And this is true whether we're talking about the mystery of God, whether we're talking about who we are, who others are, even just how life works. We only ever see a dim, a dim uh, a reflection, a, a little piece of the whole truth. And so if we can err on the side of love, if we can err on the side of patience and kindness and grace, um, that is how we can help love endure. That is how we can um, live out that gospel of God. In this time of COVID-19, I mean, we are being given lots of opportunities to live into this active love. And honestly, it starts right here in our own hearts. Um, this, this idea of loving, of being patient, of being kind, of um, not being boastful or arrogant, um, of, of not being irritable, it starts actually right here toward ourselves. I know for many of us, this has been a time of deep reflection and thinking about what is important to us in life, of thinking about um, what things are fleeting, what things we want in our life. And it's also a time when we've been expecting things of ourselves that some of us are just having a hard time making it through the day or we think we need to be more productive than we are. And so just if we can give ourselves patience, if we can give ourselves kindness, that's a start of showing that kind of love. We also have all kinds of opportunities in our immediate families, in our immediate neighborhoods. If you are quarantining with anybody or sheltering in place and there's anyone else in your house, we are getting lots of opportunities uh, to practice love and practice patience and practice kindness. I mean, in my house, it's uh, a constant refrain of, mom, I need a snack. Mom, come see my Lego creation. Mom, can you help me with my homework? And I'm like, child, I got to work, right? But then I think, well, this is about that turning toward, right? This is about being patient. This is about being loving. And this is about uh, not being irritable, right? And trying to find a way to, to reach out and connect. And the same is true even in our churches and even in this church. Um, one of the things that I've heard from some of you is how much you're enjoying coffee hour, um, which we're doing after worship each week. And for the first a few minutes, usually about 10 minutes, we share announcements for the good of the group, but then we break up into small groups. And I've heard from some of you how nice it's been uh, because Zoom sort of uh, does them randomly and that we're getting into groups with people that we don't know as well, that maybe we wouldn't naturally be circling up with if we were in the fellowship hall. And so it becomes an opportunity to, to go deeper to learn the stories of each other, to find common ground, even when on the face of it, we might seem diverse or different from each other. Um, and so it's an opportunity to live out that active love. Of course, we have all kinds of opportunities to live it out in our world as well. Um, 
I talked a lot about this last week and, and in the week before, just how there's so many divisions in our society right now and how, whether it's politically or economically, um, we are being invited to, to love and to seek the common good, um, to choose love, whether that's how we conduct ourselves with an obnoxious cousin on Facebook, whether it's how we choose to leave our house and whether or not we wear a mask, whether it's how we choose to look um, straight ahead and into the injustices that coronavirus continues to raise up. It's what we do with that information. Do we ignore it or do we turn toward it? And do we try to do something about it? Do we roll up our sleeves and call our representatives? Do we uh, get out our ballots and vote, right? That all of these are opportunities um, to act for love and to, and to reach out um, across difference, to try to find that common ground and to try to live out the gospel. It's a tall order. It's a tall order to choose love. It's a tall order to reach out across difference, to try to seek to be patient and kind and, and humble and loving. But God can help us. And God is love itself, so God will help us. So as we uh, close our time today, I just want to leave you with a couple questions to chew on for this week. What is one way that God is inviting you to choose love? Who's one person that you could turn toward this week? Or what is one action that you could take to roll up your sleeves and do that hard work of active love. May God's Spirit fill us with love this day and give us the courage to act in love toward others. Amen.